a listener production. Welcome, fine folk, to episode 108 of the Howie Games, part B, featuring legendary Pakistani cricket superstar Wazim Akram. Let's swing into it. So what was it like? You, you spoke about trying to get a curry <laughs> in New Zealand, but what, what was it like? You'd obviously never left Pakistan. Yeah. Like, if you've got your cricket gear packed, you, you've got your bag, you arrive at the airport, you get on the plane. Like, was your head must have nearly been falling off, mate. Yeah, it was. For a bit of excitement. I mean, sitting with Javed Miyadar, Zaheer Abbas, Mohsin Khan, these are the guys I used to read magazines, read their articles, had the pictures in my room. We used to watch them on television play cricket against yeah. India, against Australia, against the likes of Greg Chappell, Ian Chappell, Alan Border, all these, Kim Hughes, I remember those names still, Jeff Thompson, Dennis Lilly. These, I used to read all about these guys in Urdu magazines, cricket magazines. <laughs> and I was sitting with them on the plane. That was, I mean, I was just, I was in kind of heaven, dream come true kind of stuff. Actually, it was dream come true. So your test debut in New Zealand, like you, in a very short time, which we'll discuss, you had immediate success. But what are your memories of your first test match? Like, the, the, you know, you're playing with your mates and all of a sudden, bang, you're in New Zealand, you can't find a curry and you've got the new ball in your hand. <laughs> and John Wright is out, well caught on the gully. Wazzy Macram has his first test wicket. Sully Malik's taken the catch. That's a big moment for the 18-year-old and a good innings from John Wright, out for 66. Yes, and that too against uh, Richard Hadley. <laughs> oh, you know those wickets for Lush Green? The first game, the first test match was at Auckland. And you know, uh, uh, my my gear wasn't the best gear. My pads, they were, those days, the quality wasn't that great. And I batted at number 10, 11, obviously got out, short leg of Sir Richard Hadley. New Zealanders and Wasim Akram is out caught in close by Martin Crow. The first wicket of the morning has fallen and Pakistan a 151 for nine. He hit me on the pad on my knee and I was in agony. I didn't tell anyone. So I bowled in that test match with pain. We didn't have a physio with us on that tour. We never had physio with us those days. So I just played with that. I got two wickets for 98. And then the third, second test match I played I got 10 wickets, five and five in each innings. That's out, that's a marvelous catch by Anil Delpath, the wicketkeeper. And Akram's got five wickets. Uh, so, uh, you know, there, there was another story. I think they were about to drop me in that game in Dunedin. And then we arrived at Dunedin, the wicket was green top. And they, I suppose my captain said, Vaz, I think you're playing tomorrow. And then I played that game, I got 10 wickets and I never looked back from there. So yeah, it's a, it's a dream. It's a, it's a very uh, a story, uh, it's kind of stuff of the legends kind of story, how I got picked up to play for Pakistan team. And when did you first tour Australia and what was your, what was your first thoughts of what is now your second home? First tour straight after New Zealand, there was a, a mini World Cup in Melbourne in Australia in 1985. Right. Yes. India won that game. So my first game, if I remember, was against India, where India won easily. I didn't bowl well. And I think the second game was against Australia at the MCG. And I got five wickets, top five wickets, first five, in first five overs. Huh. Wasim Akram to Kerr. Oh, and a tremendous delivery there from Wasim. A late swinging Yorker. 
And just the start that the young left-hander needed. Robbie Kerr, Dean Jones. And he's got him. Jones has knocked it on. Kepler Wessels. Oh, and he's knocked the stumps out of the ground again. The young left-hander's delighted, and so is his captain, Jarvid. Kim Hughes. Oh, and that's in the air. And it's the fifth wicket to fall. As Hughes falls to that ball that missed very, very unexpectedly. He went through, he was going for the hook shot, the pull shot, changed his mind. And the great Alan Border. Border looking over his shoulder there, he's given out, he's out. He's tramped on his wickets actually. As he went to play that ball on the leg side, he glanced over his shoulder and seen that he had knocked the leg bail off. Five for 13 to Akram, what a spell. Five for 21, that was my first spell. Wow. And that was at the MCG. When I walked into MCG first time, I was in awe. I'd, I'd never seen anything like that in my life. I heard about, read about MCG in my school, in cricket magazines, on television maybe. But when I entered it the first time and looked at MCG, I was like, what the heck is this? <laughs> and, uh, you know, and since then, I just loved Australia. Not, uh, I think the cricket-wise, I realized if you perform against Australia, in Australia, you get recognized in cricketing world in matter of no time. Because Australia is a team to beat, always has been, always will be. And Australia is a country when you go there on a tour to perform on the field. It's a tough country to play cricket against, both on and off the field. Off the field for Pakistanis, it's okay because we couldn't understand a word huh. what you guys were saying. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the people were having a go at you, you had no idea what they were saying. But on the field, you guys were very tough. Cricket-wise, very, very tough to beat. So I've always learned that perform against the Australians, you'll do well in world cricket. And that's what exactly I did. So was when you're in your heyday and you're on that run and it was so smooth and graceful and you could bowl the in-swing and the out-swinger and, and the quick bouncer, just take me in your heyday when it's all going your way. You're at the top of your mark. You've got the new ball in your hand. What are you thinking? What's your process and what's your physical movements to get to the, the crease? Yeah! Bowling, beautiful delivery. Daniel Martin trying to go over cover. Superb bowling by the Pakistani captain. Yeah, my I was a very kind of a very simple simple plans. New ball, just aim aim at the stumps. Ball full, aim at the stumps. In swing, in swing, and the plan B could be if, if nothing is happening, then plan B is to contain, contain with two slips, third man, and just go away, go across, go across, and then if you get a wicket, attack again. Never let the batsman settle in. Never jog in. Always sprinting. I was my prime and I always sprinted in. Around the wicket, over the wicket, use of the crease, uh, uh, you know, knowing the bat, especially a new batsman, it, was, it doesn't matter how good. Like, I remember Blewett came into scene. Everybody was raving about him. He looked brilliant, but he had no idea. He was young. He had no idea about reverse swing. So we knew that, me and Vakar. We attacked the stumps whenever Bluey came out to bat with the new ball or with the old ball. So always keep the pressure on. That was my mantra as a fast bowler. Never let go. You mentioned you and, and Waka, the great Waka Yunus, and what a combination you were. And then you had that combination prior to that with Imran. 
the reverse swing which Pakistan brought to the table. There's again, there's legends about how blokes end up playing for Pakistan. You've explained that. There's legends about Imran bringing reverse swing to the team and all sorts of stories. How did it occur in your mind? I think it's Sir Faraz Nawaz who played for Pakistan, who's got nine wickets at MCG, seven for one. Safraz bowling his 36th over, has eight for 86. And he's caught behind. A great catch by Wazimbari. Hurst is out, second ball for a duck. Safraz has finished with the magnificent figures of nine for 86. Uh, he was the one who actually discovered yes. reverse swing. Yes. And then he passed it on to Imran. And then Imran passed it on to all of us. And it wasn't a rocket science. It was very simple. You see, when we bowled, it was ball tampering. And when the cricketing world got to know what it is, right. it became reverse swing. That was, that's what pisses me off. Yep. Instead of saying, sorry, we accused you wrongly, that we said you guys were cheaters. And now everybody knows how to do it. So it's, it's became reverse swing. So that upsets me at times. So we are the one, Imran, myself, Vakar, then Shoaib Akhtar, you know, all these Pakistani bowlers. We learned to bowl this in first-class cricket because of the dead wickets. We don't have bounce, so wickets are flat as a pancake. Nothing off the pitch. 278 test wickets at 22.9. When you consider he bowls a lot at home on low, flat pitches. Wonderful record. We got him, yes, that's beautifully bowled. That's always a danger, and Slater technically incorrect there, not getting forward and bowled by the swinging Yorker. A gem of a delivery. Great start by Pakistan. If anything, it has to be with the in the air, and that comes with reverse swing. And you have to aim the stumps or go for leg before. And that was the idea, and that's what we mastered it. And we enjoyed every bit of it thoroughly, me and Vakar, terrorizing the opposition. It was fun. Yeah, it was, it was great to watch. It's funny, you mentioned the flat wickets. And India, at more recent times, with the likes of Bumrah, they've produced some really top-class, really quick bowlers. But similar wickets, India and Pakistan, sure. you guys have had just a battery. You know, the young guys now and then Wakar and Imran and yourself, genuine quick bowlers. Why the difference? I think now India is, is uh, India have fast bowlers now. Before, I think it was a mindset. You see, India have Mohammad Shami, who is 140, 145. Yes. Uh, bowls reverse swing beautifully. Bumrah, you just mentioned. And uh, now the trend has started there. But Pakistan always has been a tough kind of mindset cricketers. And their hero was, the guy was Imran Khan, then Vakar, probably me, then Shoaib Akhtar, then this guy Muhammad Zaid came for a little while, who was 150 kilometers an hour. And now we have Naseem Shah, 16, 17-year-old. Uh, the left armor, Shaheen Shah Fridi, they're all 140 plus 90 miles per hour. And we have a lot more coming up. It's just the trend. These guys just want to be fast bowlers. And I think uh, uh, thanks to Imran and the fast bowlers before who actually given us the opportunity or the motivation to become fast bowlers. Tell me about Imran. Here's Imran to Dilly. Oh. Well, that's it. Imran bowling Graham Dilly with a full length delivery there. And seven wickets in innings for Imran Khan. I, I remember during the um, test series, which was blowing us away, you were texting Imran and we're like, wow, you know, you're texting the leader of your country, but he's a good friend of yours. We know him as a dashing cricketer and a World Cup winner, which we'll get to, a captain, and then those that followed him 
saw all the amazing work he did with the cancer hospitals in your beautiful country, and now he he's the leader of the country. Yeah. Like, what type of man is he? And could you do you look back and think, yeah, I can see that he was going to go down that path? No, not really. No, Imran was always very shy kind of person, hardworking, very focused, very educated, of Oxford graduate in politics, and uh, I'm. I, 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 I never thought that he'll become a politician, but I think when he saw that average Pakistani has been suffering from last, I don't know how many decades, he said, "Okay, this is my path." And Imran is a guy. If he if he thinks and believes in something, he will do it. Ladies and gentlemen, I feel honored today to represent my country at this forum of world leaders where we have a chance to discuss problems that the world is facing. You can never ask him to back down. He's mentally very strong, he's physically very fit, and, and he's, he's got a tunnel vision. Once he's set on a goal, he will make sure he, he will achieve that goal. That's what Imran Khan is all about. I mean, he struggled in this politics for 22 years. Yeah. And now he's a premier of this country. And uh, he's on the right track. It's a tough road. It's a tough road. It's not an easy country to manage. But uh, like I said, we are in very good hands as far as the leadership concerned. It'll take time. We have to be as a we have to be patient as a nation. And I suppose uh, that's where we stand right now. But uh, off the field, great sense of humor, Imran. Great, very dry sense of humor. A man of few words, but very funny. And uh, and he loves his cricket. He was watching England Pak- England Pakistan series as well, on and off. But he knew what was happening uh, during the scorecards and everything. Yeah. And that's the thing that blew me away over the summer when we were together covering uh, Pakistan Australia. He was texting you about the cricket, and I thought, wow, he's obviously still got such a, a great connection, and a, you know, he's got a country to run. Yeah. But he was still texting you about the young blokes that were opening the bowl. Yes, yes, he was, and and he against uh, England as well. He was texting me and watching. I think there was a picture got viral that there was a big meeting going on and there was a television where England were playing Pakistan, the test match. I think he only watches test matches though. Right. He does I very rarely watch T20s or one days, but test matches he loves because that's what for us old, you know, uh, uh, what you call it, uh, old mindset, old school yep. people, test cricket is the ultimate cricket. And I think what I love about Australia is as well that they love their test cricket. They love their T20 for young generation, but proper Aussie, they love their test cricket. They know that's what the game is all about. Talking about loving cricket, you've handled the pickle. Now you get my eight-year-old son, whose name is Mac, was. Okay, But Mac. he he likes to call himself, don't go into it with me, the Big Penguin. Yeah, Big Penguin, okay. Hey, Wazzy, Big Penguin here. I can't wait to listen to your episode because I love cricket. In the under-11s last year, I was seven then, I got my first ever hat-trick. It felt so good. It was bold, bold and bold. But what I would like to know is when you were playing for Pakistan, did you ever get a hat-trick? Mac, yes, I've got quite a few hat-tricks, by the way. My first uh, first-class hat-trick was Lancashire. Similar as yours, bold, bold, bold. That was against Surrey. And then my first one-day hat-trick was against West Indies. Again, similar as yours, bold, bold, bold. Do John Marshall and Ambrose. One Australian, Bruce Reed, 
against New Zealand and one Indian, Chetan Sharma, against New Zealand. So let's see whether Wasim Akram becomes the fourth. Yes! Wasim Akram becomes the fourth man in history of One Day Internationals to have taken a hat-trick. And then I got second hat-trick in One Days. That was against Australia. It was bold, bold, bold again, I think. <laughs> and then I've got two hat-tricks in test matches as well, back-to-back. -back. And he's got it! Hat-trick! This time, he's knocked the off-stump. Wasim Akram, the Pakistan captain. He's got a hat-trick. That two at his home ground. Akram's on his way to him now. Can he do it again? Oh, is that a guy with that one? And he's got it! Yes, he's done it! Wasim Akram's got another hat-trick! Pakistan, an unbelievable day for the record books. So yes, I mean, at seven years, eight years of age, I think you're on the right path, buddy. <laughs> I, I reckon you're going to beat me eventually in hat-tricks. Well, I'm not uh, sure it was, but all I know is during homeschooling, he knocks off after an hour and we go to the nets and I'm the bowling machine and, mate, you reckon you were stuffed after that bushfire game? My shoulder, I'm getting through about 45 overs a week at the moment. I'm in full training just to keep you happy. Hey, mate, we get to the World Cup. We get to the World Cup. Um, prior to the World Cup, and we'll discuss the game itself, but the semi-final was a very close-run thing. Your greatest cricket achievement, I presume, is winning the World Cup. Sure. There was some pretty amazing stuff done in the semi-final just to get you to that point. It was, especially that too against New Zealand. They were unbeaten in New Zealand. Yes. All their group games, they won everything against every team, and we beaten them in a group game. The eighth one, and then was then then it was then there was a semi-final. We were we were confident against New Zealand. We were confident as a team, and our leader was very confident, Imran. And uh, when we got to, when they got to two sixty odd, I think if I remember uh, the true score, those days two sixty was a massive total. Yeah, I mean this day and age they probably will chase it in thirty five overs, but in ninety two two sixty odd was a huge total, and that too of a knockout game. But I think uh, in Zamamul Haq played the innings of his life in that game. He got 50-odd in no time, then Miyadad got 50, then Moin Khan came down the order and won that, uh, 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 you know, that winning innings he played and won that semi-final. The whole New Zealand were in shock and the whole Pakistan was in awe. He's pulled it, man out there at square leg, he's defending, it's going fine, it could go all the way, he's coming around, quickly we die, that's four runs. And Pakistan have won the first semi-final at Eden Park. A magnificent performance by Jarvid Mandan. Inzaman Al-Haq. And look at that, look at Jarvid. What a performance for the veteran. A magnificent win when you're chasing 262. You have to do all the hard work. Well, the entire Pakistan team has raced onto the field, and no wonder. It was one of the biggest uh, victories in cricket as, as far as the magnitude of the game concerned. That was a semi-final against New Zealand. It was massive. More was him in a moment. Over the last four years, we've been really fortunate to feature a lot of cricket legends on the show. And tragically, one of them passed away suddenly recently, the great, great Dean Jones. Dino supported this show right from the start, even if it'd be fair to say, wasn't exactly sure about the name. Well, today we welcome to the Howie Games. <laughs> 
How are we going? What do you think, Dean Jones? <laughs> what, what am I, the shot putter or the discus? Or where is it being played? Is it every four years or what is it? Well, hopefully it's not every four years. Hopefully it's not every four years. And I think it's that laugh, that cackling, crackling, mischievous laugh that will always stay with me about Dino. And I guess like most Aussie kids of that era, especially Victorians, I grew up loving everything about Dean Jones. I can still picture it clearly, catching the train to the MCG, walking across the footbridge, going into the ground, wanting to see Dino bat. He'd be on fire, hopefully making runs. In a day-nighter, he'd have the white sweatbands on, the gold cap just perched on top of his head, smacking them everywhere. The crowd would be cheering and chanting his name. For me, that was pretty much as good as cricket got back in the day. And it was even better if he was batting with my other hero, Alan Border. Ever since we recorded the episode back in October 2016 now, so four years, just flies. Whenever I would see Dino around the traps, he'd race up and he'd immediately want to talk about the podcast. He'd want to know how it was going. He'd laugh and want to know how many downloads his episode had had. That was typically Dino. But more than that, he'd want to know what my plans were to increase the reach of the show, whether he could help out with that. He'd always offer to put me in contact with people, potential guests, and he'd throw suggestions as to ways I could increase the listenership of the show or how I was doing something. And I think that was Dean. He always wanted to see people have a crack at something new and have success along the way. And then commentating the BBL, Dino would text messages through to me about the game, what he thought players should be doing, what the captains were doing wrong or right, or even things he thought I should be bringing up in commentary. And when you grow up in awe of someone, as I did with the likes of Dino, and life in its strange way leads you to become mates, you sit back and wonder sometimes, wow, I'm getting text messages from Dean Jones, and you pinch yourself and you think, how cool is that? It would make me smile at the time and it still does now. So let's go back into the archives with The Great Victorian. It's episode eight. And at the time, Dean was introduced by a very, very young pickle and big penguin. Next Thursday on the Howie Games, it's the legend himself, Pickle Dino. Who, penguin? Dino, the king of the MCG. You know, he smoked 210 against the Indians at Madras. Oh, the legend, he comes out swinging in next week's ep. Got to the ground at Trinidad where it's been raining a little bit and Steve Smith, a different Steve Smith yep. back there, a very good opening batsman, um, obviously saw the pitch, looked at the looked at the scoreboard and had Malcolm Marshall, Garner, Roberts holding and said, no, I'm not playing and I got my first game. So I batted six. So, so you reckon he had a look at what was going on and thought oh, that's not I for no me? no doubt whatsoever. Really? Yeah. Well, no doubt whatsoever. That's Dean Jones in next Thursday on the Howie Game, my daddy's podcast. Dino was always a man that shot straight from the hip. He always thought outside the square. That's why he was fantastic coaching in places in the Pakistan Super League with tremendous success because he just looked at the game differently. He will be missed by so many people around the globe. He had an impact immediately on everyone he met, I reckon, Dino. Thoughts and condolences with Dean's family and loved ones. And I don't know much about much, but I reckon a fitting tribute would be a statue at the MCG alongside his great mate Shane Warne and Dennis Lilly, Matthews, Cuthbert, Bradman, Strickland, all those huge Australian names that have performed wonderful feats at the MCG. I cannot think of a better tribute than a statue of Dino at the MCG. Alrighty, back to Woz. 
So it gets to the uh, World Cup final in 1992 at the MCG. Yeah. Now, was yeah. he? I'm sure you've had a zillion people tell you they were there. I'm going to uh, make you indulge me for a moment. I took the day off first year uni accounting and economics where I was really, really bad and I went with mates and we had a ticket. So I got to see the, the World wow. Cup final at the MCG, you versus England, which wow, it still blows my mind the experience it was to watch that day, so to play in. But you, you're, you're walking down to the ground. Uh, well, you, you stayed up across the road, did you, at the Hilton? Yeah, yeah, at the Hilton. It was Hilton then, yes, exactly. We walked to the ground. So you walk into a World Cup final before it kicks off. Like, you, your country's never won it. You, you're cricket mad. What What are your memories of before the game, walking into that stadium that you so eloquently described before? I think I remember one thing that I slept peacefully. What, uh, you know, at sometimes sportsmen don't sleep well before a big day. Yep. But that night I slept very peacefully. I slept early by 10, 30, 11. It was a day-night game. So I was up at 9, 30, 10, relaxed and easy. I was relaxed. There was no tension. There was no pressure. And, you know, luckily it wasn't in Pakistan. In a blessing in disguise kind of thing, it was in Australia, miles away. And I knew the whole country is glued to television. And uh, then we walked, I think me and Ijaz, my roommate, walked to the to the ground a couple of hours before happy jokingly and relaxed and obviously uh when i arrived at the ground uh before the warm-up just you know a couple of uh knock-ins with the jars we were laughing away and i felt very light you know when you you don't when you're stressed or pressure you feel heavy i i was very light i felt like i could fly kind of thing you know running around was easy everything was easy and then Skipper gave a famous speech of Corner Tigers in the dressing room. What did he say? He said, I mean, I think the end bit was fight like a Corner Tigers. Corner Tiger. <laughs> and you know what happens when Tiger get cornered? Obviously, he attacks back. He said, attack back. And, you know, quite a few of the young guys couldn't understand a word what Imran was saying. So they asked me afterward, what is Corner Tiger means? So I explained it to them, Corner Tiger means if the Tiger is cornered, <laughs> he attacks you. So that's what Pakistan team is going to do against England. This is the first ball of the match being bowled from the southern end. And straight away, Pringle goes past the outside edge. And the best thing was that there were about, if I remember, 87,000 people yep. watching that game. Yes. And about 67 to 70,000 were Australians. Absolutely. And, you know, being organised, Australians being planned, they bought tickets beforehand for the finals. Probably knowing that Australia will qualify, but unfortunately Australia didn't, and Pakistan did, and they cheered for Pakistan. It was like I was playing a final in Lahore. We had so much, so much support. But again, one of the biggest day I remember it. It was like yesterday. My memories and looking back at it, Imran came in. I reckon at number three, like he batted right up the order. At, at, yeah, he did. He really took the pace out of the game and at the time you're thinking, gee, are they going to set a competitive total? Everyone talks about your wickets, but the World Cup final, you put on 52 with the great, very young and slim Inzimam, 33 off 19 yourself, was he? So you guys have put 249 on the board. You batted beautifully. Was it enough in your mind? I think that was the plan because the trouble we were getting in Australia was two new balls and we were losing early wickets. So hence, Imran promoted himself to bat at number three, 
to block everything. Indeed. See off the new ball, have wickets in hand, and then attack in last 10 overs. And that's what exactly happened. He blocked, 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 blocked. Then he got 70. Javed got some runs. He's got that one away beautifully. Nice and fine, that'll be four. And that's also the 100 partnership. That one flicked away beautifully by Imran Fine for four. And then me and Inzamam came in at the right time. Eight to ten overs, he's got 35 off. I got 33 off. Charge, he hit that, that could go all the way. Superb replace by Wazim Akram. Well, we've got two very powerful men at the crease. And I thought 249 was a competitive total. Enough, maybe not, but as a total, we can put pressure on England. That I knew at the time. So then, second spell, game is on the line. Alan Lamb, a destructive batsman, and the skipper throws you the ball. Does he say anything to you at this point with the World Cup final on the line? There was a water break, water break 34 overs. Yep. And uh, uh, there was a partnership between Alan Lamb and me, Fairbrother. Both were one of the best one-day players at the time of the era, 90s. And the partnership was growing and Imran said we needed a wicket. I said, Skipper, maybe I should bowl from the pavilion end because that ball is reversing a bit. And uh, he said, yes, come for two overs and attack the stumps. And I said, I'll go round the wicket to Alan Lamb and I bowl this away swing to him. He said, fine. And on the other end, Neil Fairbrother, we both played for Lancashire for three years before that. Every year, 88, 89, 90, 91, four years. So he told Alan Lamb that Wazim will go round the wicket. He'll bowl this away swing. You just block him. Don't play any shot. Because those days, left armers going wide of the crease around the wicket and then bowling this out swing was unheard of. Right. Nowadays, Mitchell Stark does it very regularly and beautifully. But nowadays, it was unheard of. I did exactly the same. I was sprinting in. I was in good rhythm, good pace. And, you know, I visualized it before running in that this is what I'm going to do. And that's what exactly happened. Alan Lamb bowled. What a great delivery. Left arm around the wicket. Alan Lamb has been cleaned up. Perhaps so too England. So next batsman in, Chris Lewis. I wanted to bowl a yoker around the wicket. It was a reverse swing. And my captain Imran Khan said, Waz, let me tell you, he'll be expecting a yorker. Why don't you bowl a length ball, but in swing? <laughs> I said, done. And uh, I visualized it, sprinted in, and bowled it in swing outside off stump, aimed the first slip, shiny side inside, aimed the first slip, little bit flick in the end, and it swung about that much, if I remember, a bit more maybe. Subtract Lewis from that list. Wasim Akram is on a hat-trick. Played on. And a little bit of inside edge. And uh, Chris Lewis was gone. And I knew then that World Cup, we won the World Cup. So the final catch is taken. The first Pakistan team ever to win a World Cup. That's up in the air. He's getting under it. This could be victory. It is. Pakistan win the World Cup. A magnificent performance in front of 87,000 people. Imran Khan has went inside to victory. What a great victory. Well, the Pakistani players in prayer on the ground to give thanks for their victory. They've certainly been the side of the night. Their momentum in this tournament has grown and grown and grown and they've timed their best form absolutely perfectly. To you at the time and looking back now, what are we? We're 
28 years later, what does it mean to you to be the first team to win a World Cup for Pakistan? It was massive. I think at the time, I was only 24, maybe 23. Uh, we didn't realise what has been, you know, what has happened. What, as a Pakistan team, we did. But when we arrived back into Pakistan, huh. then we realised that we did something. I mean, when we landed at Lahore Airport, the hotel drive... Is about was about ten minutes to fifteen minutes. It took us seven hours. Wow! Even an open top bus, you know, open top bus with a replica trophy, because it was a glass trophy. You can't take a glass proper uh, your World Cup on a bus. You probably you drop it. So it was a replica thing, and the whole city was out. Then we went to Karachi. The whole city was out. Then we went to Islamabad, Pindi. The whole city. We went to every province and every city was out to receive us. It was incredible. And it was, uh, it was the, the, when I came back as a young kid after winning the World Cup, the, the, what I loved the most was that everyone was smiling. For years, they smiled whenever we spoke about the World Cup. So, yeah, that was worth every bit. We, we often hear, mate, about subcontinental teams having success and then being bestowed gifts by government or ministers. Did, did any of that come your way? Like yeah, you hear yeah, stories we, that someone got a parcel got, of land or a, did, was there any of that? Yes, we got a lot of cash from every province. Every chief minister gave us cash. <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of, it was quite a bit of money. And then the prime minister of Pakistan gave us a piece of land in Islamabad, each player. And that was worth quite a bob then. Uh, I don't have, so I sold it a long time ago. But yes, it was, it was worth a lot of money. I think those days it was worth about $70,000. Right. Yeah, so yeah. So, mate, I um, indulge me for a moment here. I, I left the game, um, so I'm probably 17, and wandered up to the Hilton because I was a battling leg spinner and I just wanted to meet Mushtaq Ahmed. And um, I met Java Miandad and he pointed me to the team manager and I went up to him and introduced myself. It was Bedlam. Everyone was in the, the four of the Hilton there. And I can clearly remember as a 17-year-old saying, oh, he's Mushtaq here. And he said, no, he's taken his money. I think he meant his per DMs. He's taken his money and he's gone, gone, gone. Now, I don't know where Mushy, where he went, but the great leg spinner had departed for a nice little party somewhere was. Probably, probably. Because I think he's probably sitting in one room celebrating. That was our party those days. But again, uh, it was something uh, we never expected that we would do to win a World Cup and that too in Australia, that too at the time, one of the best one-day sides in World Cricket in England. So yeah, everything was just a dream come true for all of us at the time. Mate, we could, I could take up hours of your time talking through your cricket career. I won't, I won't make you sit through that. But you've become one of the preeminent cricket commentators in the world and everybody loves working with you because you're insightful but you're always positive and you've always got a smile on your face and your hair always looks magnificent on or <laughs> off camera. Um, what, what was the first thing you ever commentated and what was the experience like? I think the first time I started commenta uh, commentating in 2004, it was tough. I mean, uh, you know, it was a tough means of discipline, sitting all day, watching cricket. You have to get used to it. And then ESPN star, I must thank uh, to my ex-boss, uh, Hugh Bevan, who invited me to come to Singapore for three months to learn commentating, uh, 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 presenting, uh, editing, producing. So I spent three months in Singapore in 2005 huh. to work 10 hours a day to learn the craft. 
and now I'm enjoying it. I don't do it on regular basis. I pick and choose, but I do enjoy working. I loved working with you guys in Australia last summer. It's very, very crucial, this pair, Barbara Azam and uh, Asad Shafiq. You guys were thorough professionals and knowledge of the game. And of course, Fox were magnificent as a channel. And uh, I've just came back from Sky. All my mates, what I enjoy is working with my colleagues, the people I played against, the people I got out lots of times. <laughs> I can have a go at them. And people who got me out lots of time and smashed me around as well. So we all on a very good terms. It's, it's, a, it's a fun life. God has been very, very kind. And what do you reckon the key is? When you roll up on a test match morning, what are you trying to provide? I try to give the insight. You see, there's a, there's a lead commentator. For instance, you're a lead commentator. Yep. You will say the bowler is running into bowl, three slips, two gullies, blah, blah, blah. And my job as an expert is to explain to the viewer that what the bowler is trying to do and what he should be doing, what sort of field set he should be trying. And, you know, inside of the game, that's what I would like to, that's what I like to do. That is my job. I don't want to be a lead con commentator. I want to be an expert. And I think that's what my forte, that's what, that's what my speciality is. And who do you look at that's currently or has commentated in the past? Like, I mean, you could choose one commentator to listen to. Who are you listening to? I think if I have to go, the, the, the commentators, like, you know, the greats of great commentators, like Richie Benno, uh, Tony Gregg, uh, my fa all-time favorite definitely is Bill Laurie. Yes. Bill Laurie. It's just the enthusiasm, the, the, the knowledge of the game, the way he talks about it. And he's always very, very positive. I think nowadays everybody's a good commentator from Shane Vaughan to, to, uh, to Mark Ward to Nasser Hussain to Michael Atherton. All these guys, and of course you, yeah. all these guys are very, very good uh, because they played that game at the highest level. 100 test matches, more than 100 test matches. So they know what they're saying. So it's fun working with these guys and listening to these guys. And where's Pakistan cricket going, mate? Is it heading in the right direction? They, they, you know, they provide such, they're such a wonderful team to watch and commentate on because they're always full of young, exuberant, exciting talent, fast bowlers, big hitting batsmen. Like they're a good team to watch. Yeah, we are on the right track. We've changed our first class structure. It's, like, it's more like an Australian uh, first class system. Six teams, six province teams. Uh, we started now last year. Eventually, I think three, four years we'll get the, we'll, we'll get the benefit out of it. But uh, we're on the right track as far as cricket, uh, uh, cricket concern. I think in a couple of years you see Pakistan team really doing well consistently. I think. We talked a lot about your bowling before I let you go. A uh, batsman of a great skill. Was your first Test 100 against Australia? It's five for 90 as Wasser Macron comes to the crease. Over the top of the slips, brings up the 100 for Pakistan. Yeah, that was against uh, Australia at uh, Oval, Adelaide Oval. And I think we were under pressure when I went into bat. Me, Imran got 100 and I got 100 batting at number eight or number nine. And uh, that was one of my favorite hundreds. Well, he's had a go at that one. It's gone way over the top of the infield there. One bounce, two bounces, and into the fence it goes, and up goes the hand of Wazim Akram. He has chalked up his first century in Test Match cricket, and his captain would have to say to him, very well played. 
against that too against Australia the big mov Carl Rackman uh, uh Peter Taylor I think the off spinner yes uh, Campbell guy from Tasmania I forgot his first name Campbell he was there too uh, I got five wickets in first innings 50 first innings and then 100 in second innings so yeah that was a great series for me that series made me into world cricket first test 11 wickets at the MCG second test my tech 105 wickets and i think sydney test got rained off but yes that was a tour the world recognized me that this cricketer is is something special and as you know as a bowler mate but 257 yes thank you very much okay that's it's big numbers was big numbers whittle into a simakram down the leg side past the short fine leg one more to vasimakram and he's 250 and again looking towards the pavilion punching the air raising his bat people will say against zimbabwe but guys it a good bowling attack and i went out to bat when pakistan were 170 for 6 and i got 257 but 12 sixes still the world record is it Sorry that I'm blowing my own trumpet. No, do it. Yes. Do it. <laughs> do it, mate. Do it. Sweeps once again and over the top of uh, the backward square leg fielder. And that's another set. 12 sixes. This is massive hitting and this is murder in the first degree. World record of sixes in one innings. 12 sixes still a world record. nobody has broken it as yet and uh, i talked to all the greats of the game asked sachin tendulkar sachin what's your high score he said 240 and then he looks at me are you taking the piss i said yes <laughs> i asked all the top batsmen uh, michael atherton nasir hussain mark waugh what's your test best test score they are less than 200 so yes 257 <laughs> How do you reflect back on your cricketing journey, mate? Like we we've travelled through a remarkable story of a bloke that got plucked out of nowhere and became a World Cup winner. Like sliding doors, it may never happen. You may have been good enough, but not got the opportunities. How do you reflect on it all? I think I've been extremely lucky uh, as as a cricket. My family have supported me. My mom, my dad, my brothers, my wife, my you know everyone, and uh, you know no regrets. I made a lot of mistakes. Everybody make mistakes when you're young. on and off the field but as long as you learn from mistakes i will never give anything away for life for this life wasim akram the cricketer and mate we are very lucky was to have a lot of kids listen if you could give one bit of advice to an aspiring child who wants to achieve something in life not necessarily in cricket or sport but they just want to achieve what what would you say to them great man i think apart from a simple uh, you know quote i learned early on in my career by my mentors like imran khan miadad that nothing comes easy you got to work hard you got to plan it and another thing i would say when you play for your country when you come into extreme you know elite sport choose your friends very carefully they can make and break your reputation the mistakes i made i want these youngsters doesn't matter which country they come from not to repeat them was it's great advice and it has been a thrill for me to sit and chat with you about your career i hope you've enjoyed reflecting mate and i, I hope, really did i hope so i hope we get to sit in the commentary box again at some stage and just have a bit of a chat about life and cricket and may you have many success with your young family with your boys growing up and everything moving forward mate stay safe it's been a treat to have you on the show thank you very much Owen. and nice talking to you 
For me, an absolutely massive thrill to sit down and chat with Wazim Akram. How about the story of how he was originally discovered? Could have gone any other way. But geez, he had some skill. Thank you so much to Wazim for his time and his stories and his infectious laugh. Loves a chuckle, does Wazim, doesn't he? I hope all you good people enjoyed this episode as much as I did. A mystery guest up next, a big name too. Until then, peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. Try, try, try Listener